This is the fourth in a series of sermons on some of the basic beliefs that we carry as Christians and some of the basic things that, that form our lives in God. And last week, we walked with Jesus out into the wilderness, into the desert, where he was tempted by Satan and tempted to be full, to turn stones into bread, tempted to be certain of uh, God's promise to live not by faith, but by sight. He was tempted to kneel to the devil so that he could have authority over all things. And so we walked through those temptations along with him and saw that the basis for our being made right with God is the fact that Jesus lived perfectly, that Jesus lived sinlessly. And so when he went to the cross, both as the priest who offers the sacrifice, but also as the sacrifice itself, he was able to make amends for us who are sinful and who fall to these temptations over and over again. And looking to Jesus with gratitude for setting us right with God, we also kind of resolved to try to, in gratitude, um, live out the life of Jesus now so that we reflect his goodness and truth and love in our own lives. So it's, it's about Christ who sets us right, but now in gratitude, us responding uh, in a way that seeks to obey the commandments that he's given us and the patterns of life that he says are uh, good and right and true. And to that end, we took up um, the practice of examine. Right? So uh, three appointments a day, once in the morning you wake up and you ask God for grace to amend your life or to take from you this one particular thing that you want to focus on during Lent, during these 40 days that we spend in the desert, so to speak. And then after lunchtime, we're invited to kind of reflect and examine our day to this point and think about how it's gone and ask forgiveness for where we've fallen short and ask for God's grace again as to how we might continue to enter into the battle. And also doing that again after, after supper, sometime in the evening, um, and seeing how that process goes as we enter into uh, this season of Lent. Um, I'm excited to hear some of the stories of, I've heard a couple already this morning, hearing the things that you're seeking to set aside or the, the labors that you're taking up. Uh, I've been extremely encouraged by that and perhaps we'll be able to, to share together a little bit how God's been at work in us. So this is kind of focused on the sort of the negative way of Lent, right? What are, what are we going to set aside? What are we going to put down? And these little things that we put down are so that we can hopefully eventually also put larger things down. But this morning, I want us to think perhaps on the positive side of this. Uh, if you put something down, that means you've, you've got a little strength to carry something new, to pick something else up. So what are the things that we're going to pick up and carry with us? What are, the, what are the new qualities or characteristics of Jesus that we want to acquire and take up and, and then live out? So it's not just a, a no, it's also I mean, the no is there, but it's, it's for a larger yes. So this morning, I want us to look at a few of, of the things that we might say yes to. And as the songs hinted at this morning, uh, God's love is revealed in Christ as the foundation of all these things. And it's also the pinnacle of all these things. It's the, it's the whole hierarchy. It's the whole ladder up and down. God's, God's love um, meeting us in Christ. And so I'm going to turn, and I invite you to turn if you've got your Bible with you, or just listen carefully and well to 1 Corinthians, uh, some, sec some sections from chapter 13. 
that famous passage that is often read at, at weddings, but probably most appropriately speaks of God's love towards us, a love that we're called to take up and live out ourselves. Love is patient, writes Paul. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice with wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. Love never ends. Skipping to the end of that section, Paul says, So now, faith, hope, and love, these three abide. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was in elementary school, I went to Little Dribblers basketball camp every summer, uh, led by Coach Danny Anderson, who would be my high school coach. Um, he'd line us up on the baseline, all the, all the different ages and stages, and line us, line us up on the baseline. He'd go out to the free throw line, and on that day that was designated during the week to, for, for shooting instruction, he would walk out in front of us and he'd say, if you can remember the word beef, you can remember how to shoot. It was an acronym. And he would say, B stands for balance. You know, when you, when you shoot a basketball, you don't want to be leaning way over one way or leaning the other way. You want to be balanced and feet maybe shoulder width apart. So you have a good solid foundation and base. And, and I, or E stands for eyes on target. I mean, kind of obvious you want to look at what you're shooting at. And then once you get good balance and you're looking where you want to shoot, um, you want your elbow straight. Your elbow needs to be pointing straight at the basket because wherever that elbow points is where your follow-through is going to end up. And so balance, eyes on target, elbow straight and follow through. And so then after he taught us that and made 20 free throws in a, in a row one-handed because all shooting is is pushing a ball, right? You just got to learn how to sh push it the right distance. Uh, we'd break up into groups and we'd have, you know, the high school players would come and take us and we'd practice this. We'd begin to drill this. And so we, we'd get up to the line and, and we'd have to remember and say out loud, you know, balance and get our balance. And then and we'd, we'd look really hard up at the goal because we really wanted to show them where we had our eyes on the target. And then and we'd try to get our elbows straight and, and follow through. That, that was that was right. We'd go through that several times. And eventually, after thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, shots, um, I became f fairly proficient at shooting a basketball. And, you know, when I caught a, a basketball, caught a pass in the game and took a shot, I, I, didn't, I didn't actually ask the defender to pause for a moment so that I could say, balance, eyes on target, elbow straight, and follow. I mean, I'd be kind of a giveaway, right? Um, so I, I, I internalized that instruction, and I practiced it enough that it sort of became a, a part of me. 
so that I would do those things intuitively, naturally, without having to consciously think about it, it became part of, I guess, who I was. You can do this with any skill that you've acquired. Or think about, think about the work that you have taken up in your life. There are certain skills, foundational elements that you must acquire, that you must learn and integrate into who you are, but eventually you stop thinking about having to do it. You can look at nuance because you've got the basics down. I think about, you know, uh, Dave and um, Jen and Joy, uh, Crystal and Holly playing music. You know, when they were learning music as a kid, uh, they probably had, you know, the sheet music in front of them and they had to learn like where the note was on the scale and what note it actually was. And sometimes you count out, you know, every good boy does fine so you could find the right note. And then once you found it there, you had to find it on your guitar, your keyboard or your violin. And then you play that note. But eventually you got to a point where you knew those things, you'd integrated them. And, you know, they could just play the music and it, it was it was more of an art with attention to the nuance of the piece of music than trying to get the rigid notes right. Um, or, or think of those of you who have um, who are gifted in in the in the kitchen and in, in cooking or baking. You know, you learned a recipe, you found something new you like, you learn the recipe and you get the card out and you follow the recipe just right. And eventually you made that dish enough times that you got really good at it and you didn't even have to use the recipe anymore. It became part of who you are. And, and you could attend to the nuance. Let's say you didn't have all the ingredients, but you could substitute something in or you could add just a little bit of flavor in a different way to, to, to season the dish. I mean, this is, this is life, isn't it? We acquire skills and there's some particular things that we need to learn and take on and take into ourselves. But eventually as we grow more comfortable with them, we're able to apply them in more nuanced settings and situations. The same holds true for the Christian life and for the process of not only setting aside that which is sinful in us, but also in acquiring that which is good and holy and true, that which Christ wants to give. There, there are some things, some basics that we need to take in and for a while, you might be taking thousands of shots, just drilling, trying to get used to that. But eventually, you'll discover they become more a part of you so that you can attend to the nuance of different situations. Because the, the Bible isn't like a manual and a rule book and covers every circumstance, what you ought, how you ought to respond. No, it, it seeks to form us in particular ways so that we can respond to the variety of situations and people we encounter throughout life. So this morning we're going to go, you know, Coach Anderson taught me basketball and Miss Free taught me piano. And I don't know who, you know, who instructed you uh, in the various things that you're good at. But th this morning for our instructors, we're going to go to the desert again because we're here in Lent, which is modeled after Jesus in the desert, which itself was modeled after. Well, I guess Christ is probably the model, but the, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness and the desert for 40 years, they were formed by that. David in the wilderness through much of his early life was formed by that. Uh, Jesus in the wilderness reveals to us that this is a place of formation for us. And so let's go back about 2,000 years, maybe, maybe 1,700 years or so, and take a look at the Roman Empire. You know, after Rome crucified Jesus, Jesus rose again. 
sent the Spirit at Pentecost and, and, uh, to his disciples, and they went to the ends of the earth and began to share the good news of Christ. And a couple hundred years later, in the face of persecution and uh, martyrdom and all sorts of challenges, well, Rome had been converted, the entire empire. And it wasn't by way of an army. It wasn't by way of all these ways that... Um, you know, Israel had expected, but it was by the way of self-sacrificial love and faithfulness to Christ. And so suddenly, um, these Christians who had faced so much difficulty in living out the Christian life, who knew very well what it meant to take up the cross and follow Jesus, because many of them were put on crosses. Suddenly, when the empire declared that the religion of the state was Christian and that everyone was now Christian, and this is what the faith that you would practice and hold uh, as primary in your life. Once that happened, Christianity suddenly became very easy for a lot of people. It was culturally embedded. So maybe you can find some analogies between ancient Rome and today. It It was culturally embedded, right? And it became easy. And so certain members of the church realized Christ doesn't necessarily think that my Christian faith and life should be easy. I want to give all of who I am to God. I want to give absolutely everything. And do you know where they went? They literally went into the desert. Because that's where Jesus went. That's where the people of Israel were formed. That's where David was shaped. They went into the desert and began to live in caves and hermits as hermits and so on. And um, they began to do battle with the devil with the temptations that they have, with the thoughts that they have that weren't from God, and they began to gain um, an incredible depth of knowledge and experience in setting aside that which was not of Christ and receiving that which was from God. And their lives and their writings are testimonies to the degree uh, that they entered into the love of Jesus. And wouldn't you know it, they began to discover, well, some very basic core things that we need to take on. Some aspects of who Jesus is that for us can become, you know, the C major scale. Or can become the acronym BEEF that help us learn how to shoot a basketball. Uh, That can become for us almost like a recipe card. And for a while, these might feel different or strange or awkward, or you might think, I have no clue what any of these things are about. But over time, I I trust that you will begin and continue to gather these up in your being such that they now come out of you. So I'm going to give you eight of them this morning. And that's going to be way too much and way too fast because these things don't take a sermon or a week or Lent. Uh, They take a lifetime. But I at least want you to begin to know something about them. And then I will send you another email. This can be the email week with these things broken down. And you can begin to think more concretely about where they connect with your life. And we're going to start um, with a picture of a tree. You can even look at this one if you want. Um, They did this with the virtues and the vices. And the vices, the tree began with pride, that first sin, and then broke off of there with all manner of 
uh, uh, vices, which are not just like instances of sin, but they, a vice is something that has now formed a pattern in your life so that you're, you have a proclivity towards it. Um, in the same way, the virtues begin not with pride as the trunk of a tree, is the foundation, but with humility. So humility forms the foundation. And, and off from that, you've got four branches on, on a lower scale. And these would be called sort of the, maybe the classical virtues. And, uh, and these virtues were prudence, which is an odd word for us, but it really means practical wisdom. It's not like common sense, because common sense, hopefully, well, some will say that's uncommon, but hopefully it's fairly common. But wisdom is deeper. And also practical. So you've got prudence, you've got justice, courage, and temperance. So that's sort of the first level of branches. You've got humility as the trunk, and you've got these four uh, cardinal virtues uh, or classical virtues on the bottom rung of the tree. And atop them, you have the three theological virtues, which is faith, hope, and love. You heard that in our passage. Paul, after describing uh, many of the aspects of love, in the end says, uh, faith, hope, and love, these three remain, but the greatest of these is love. So let's start at the top and work our way down the tree. Um, we begin with faith. We, we spoke about faith a couple weeks ago, didn't we? Uh, faith, trust in God. Um, faith as something that, that I believe, but also something that we believe. Faith, faith in Jesus Christ who reveals God to us. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, but think for a moment of someone in your, in your life who you would describe as someone of incredible faith. Isn't that someone, a person subconsciously you have wanted to be like or become like? And Jesus, of course, for us is the man of faith, the one who completely trusts, who enters into the will of the Father fully and completely. And because of faith, we can also have hope. Uh, faith and hope Hope does not like blind hope. We're not talking about blind faith either. But hope that Jesus will fulfill the promises that he's made. That Jesus will do what he's promised to do. Um, the hope is tied to the resurrection in the Christian life. Because we, we have a reason to hope. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. As I spent time with the Scullies this week. In the midst of great grief, these... This word from Paul continued to come back to me. Uh, as Christians, we grieve, yes, because death is not the way it's supposed to be. But we don't have to grieve as those who have no hope. We do have hope because Christ has been raised. Faith and hope. And above them on the tree at the highest point is love. You know, the scriptures tell us that God is love. It is the highest thing. It's the thing that um, ties everything else together and binds people and families, binds us to God and God to us. God is love. And we're called to become people of love. 
And, and love is described as the greatest of these. It's the highest point. Of, it's the highest of the theological virtues because one day faith will not be needed. We will see face to face. And hope will no longer be something we strive for, but it's something realized. And so all that remains then when we are with God is love. A love greater than anything we could imagine. Faith and hope and love. These are, these are things that we, when we get to integrate them into our lives, such that you know, we become like those people who say, that person is full of faith, has such strong faith, or that person, I don't know how they exhibit the hope they do in the face of the circumstances they're in, but they have such great hope in Jesus. Um, that person is full of love. Do you know people who are like that? But you just want to be with them because you will feel loved when you're in their presence. They'll smile at you. Faith and hope and love. These are things, these are some of the basics that as we begin to incorporate them into our lives in deeper ways, suddenly begin to change us and mold us and flow out of us. Now, the classical virtues have been spoken of in different times and places and cultures. Uh, but Augustine of Hippo in particular helps us to begin to understand their place within our Christian life and faith, um, recognizing that Jesus is the greatest example of, of all of these. Um, they are as actually aspects of his person. And so Augustine looks at prudence and at practical wisdom. And he says this about it. He says it is actually a, an aspect of love for God. All of these virtues are aspects of love for God. If you want to love God, how do you do it? Well, begin to acquire these virtues. So prudence or practical wisdom is love discerning really well in our lives what helps us towards God or removes us from God. So it's not like an abstract thing that you get good at practical wisdom in your life. It always is connected to love of God. To be a prudent person is to recognize what in your life moves you closer to God and what pulls you further from Him. And of course, prudence in love allows you to take that step towards God. I mean, you can see that being really practical in, in actually every single part of your life, every minute of your day. Uh, so prudence, justice. What about justice? Um, being set in right relationship. Uh, not only with God, but with other human beings. Augustine said this about justice. It's an aspect of love for God. Love, justice is love serving only God in all things. And because of that, because you are a steward with one above you, not the master of your world or universe or fate, but you are serving in love uh, towards God, you therefore will rule well, in all those other places, God has given you a measure of authority. Which relates, of course, to other human beings. Um, courage, right? Um, I, so I'm reading a book right now of, of an, a person uh, from, from Kentucky, World War II. His son's writing this book. He's, uh, he's just discovered uh, that his dad actually... Uh, saved a number of people's lives when he was in a prisoner of war camp uh, in, in Nazi Germany and exhibited incredible courage uh, in the face of, you know, uh, very, very likely death. Um, 
And so I'm beginning to read the, you know, you have people in your life who you, you look at and say, what, you know, this person is, is full of courage. Augustine describes courage as love for God, readily bearing all things for the sake of God. So even when, when things are hard, where things are difficult, where things are challenging, you enter into those things bearing them because of love for God. And finally, temperance. You know, uh, temperance, you can hear temptation in there. So temperance is being able to say no to certain things or too much of certain things. So temperance, Augustine says, is love, that highest of virtues as it flows down, love preserving itself um, entirely uh, and incorrupt for God. Uh, so not pursuing too much uh, of, of a particular thing, but finding the appropriate way uh, to engage with the world around us. So we think of those things again. I don't want to, this is I don't want you to hear this as and now you have seven or eight more things that you have to work on in your life. Like now I have another job or another task or another thing to take up. That's, that's coming at it from the wrong angle, I think. Um, I want you to see that in each respect, these are aspects of Christ being, who is the perfect human being. I want you to recognize that he has gone to the cross for you so that you might be saved, yes, but also so that you might be transformed. And your transformation now is something that you enter into out of gratitude, not looking for extra places where you can, you know, shake the finger at yourself or uh, feel undue guilt or unworthiness. It is not for this reason. Um, Christ is the one who perfectly fulfills all these things. And he is the one who joins you to himself. So they're actually already yours in him. The work that we take up now is becoming proficient in that which we've already been given. So I could tell you, I could tell you beef. I could tell you the acronym. I knew what it meant. I knew what I was supposed to do. But in order to become proficient, I had to put it into practice. And I missed a whole lot of shots. You know, sin like missing the mark. Like I just, I threw up a lot of bricks against the backboard. But slowly but surely, the transformation comes, right? Uh, and that's an aspect of God's grace. So think about practical wisdom. This is Jesus, who is the wisdom of God entering the earth as a human being and becoming intensely practical, right? Jesus is that person. Jesus is the one who is just, who is always in right relationship. That's what justice means with God and also with people. Uh, Jesus is the one who shows courage over and over and over again. A carpenter who stands before the Roman Empire. A carpenter who goes and touches lepers. Jesus is the man of courage who goes to the cross. Jesus is the man of temperance who, though he is tempted by Satan, does not succumb. Jesus is all these things, but he wants to give that to you. He wants to allow you a share in his life. So that you might become the sort of person that, that those that you love will look at and say, Mom, dad, brother, sister, friend is a person of faith and hope and love. And I want to be like them. Is a person of, 
of prudence and justice and courage and temperance. And I want to be like them because I see Christ in them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.